What's going on, Action Flicks fanatics? This is John Jerva, and I'm here with another episode of the Action Flicks Action Fix Podcast. Season 2 has been rolling on. We're locked and loaded this year. So far, we've had action star Paul Sloan talking about his new movie, Every Last One of Them. Director James Nunn, who has his new movie, One Shot, which stars Scott Atkins coming out this Friday. And we just recently had the man himself, Scott Atkins, stopping by the Action Fix podcast to talk about One Shot as well. This time around, we got one man who Scott knows pretty well. We have director, filmmaker Jesse V. Johnson, the action maestro who has done such phenomenal action movies like the Deck Collector movies, as well as Savage Dog, Accident Man, Pit Fighter, and this last Sentinel with Don the Dragon Wilson, which is one of my personal favorites. Jesse is always accommodating. He always stops by to chat about his movies. And this time we're talking about his new World War II epic, Hell Hath No Fury, which comes out this Friday in select theaters from Wellgo USA. Jesse stops by the Action Fix podcast to talk about the movie, how it came about, all about the cast, which includes Nina Bergman, Louis Mandler, Daniel Bernhardt, and more. And now we have Jesse V. Johnson returning to the Action Fix podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. So before, uh, thank you for joining me again, Jesse. And I just wanted to say... um, it's kind of interesting because of in light of recent events like with with the tragedy um with alec baldwin i wanted to ask you would you be up for talking about you know your opinion on gun safety on set and where do you think this is going to go in the future i mean it's a tragedy you know and i feel really bad but i wanted to get your take on it i'll talk about it very briefly and it's my you know you want me to talk about it now as the interview starts so are we going yeah we're going Oh, fantastic. Well, it, you know, my thought is, you know, I've, I've been doing, working with firearms on set for 35 years, uh, probably one through 600,000 to a million rounds of planks with no, no injuries. I've had more injuries from heat exposure or bad catering than I have from, you know, from the gunfire on, on any of my sets, with the exception of, of people forgetting to put their earplugs in once in a while, including myself, uh, getting ringy ears. Uh, what firearms require and what is essential when you work with firearms is is that you have an experienced, qualified, diligent and assertive wrangler who handles those firearms and whose job it is to make sure that they are handled safely and that the crew are safe and that the cast are safe and that everyone is safe and and when the guns are pointed, even with blanks in, they're pointed in safe directions. It's their job to second guess everyone else's sense of safety as it should be. Uh, to that end, you also need a first safety who understands the safety protocol of working with blanks and, and stage firearms. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, the actors should have a certain degree of, of, of knowledge and, you know, you make sure they have that by giving them a training period either before the shot, before the movie, or, or you know, in depth in, in pre-production, depending on how much experience they bring to the role. In the case of my movie, all of these people had used firearms on movies before, but regardless of that, these were World War II firearms, so they were taken out, they were given a certain amount of training with those World War II firearms to see how they kicked, and so they could replicate that with, you know, with, with it when we were on set. But, but also, while you're doing that training, myself and the armorer and stunt coordinator are watching to see what kind of 
know, what kind of ability they have and whether we're taking a risk with that particular actor. Uh, in the case of this one, Nina was ferocious. She hates firearms. She hates guns. She's a very, she's an advocate of, of peace and, and love. And she's, a, you know, a strict vegan and, and, and it's a protest around animal rights. So her feeling politically and personally towards firearms was very strong. But she understood the nature of the story and how profound uh, uh, her character you know, uh, interaction with firearms was, and she embraced that. She learned how to use them and use them confidently and use them like she'd been trained to use them. Uh, so actor training is very important. Uh, to that end, they know to keep them in a safe direction. They know to how to clear the firearm themselves before, you know, before a scene or whatever. But that's not always possible, and quite often, you know, we go rushing, and, and so you have to rely on the firearms wrangler who checks the gun and hands it to the actor who will do what they need to do. So... What happened in, in New Mexico was three awful, awful tragedies happening at once. You know, the first thing that they had, a, a, you know, a gun wrangler who had left a firearm on a bench or a cart with live ammunition in it, which is inexcusable. You know, I fired people for having live ammunition on set. We, we had a, someone turn up one time with a handgun in the back of their belt uh, because they were transporting valuable props or something. I can't remember what the reason was, but it's like, you can't do that. I, I, you can't have firearms on set. I, I will not allow a live cartridge anywhere near my, my actors or my crew. It's just it just is an anathema to me. It's it goes without without saying. You know, I, I have it I have uh, theatrical firearms in my storage. I don't keep any live ammunition. I, I could care less about shooting live ammunition. That's something you do, you know, for fun, you know, but it doesn't come anywhere near my work stuff. It's it's uh, you know, they would never be housed anywhere close to each other. It's, it's, it's a, and my guns are actually not uh, usable anymore. They've been, they've had plugs and wells put in, so you can't actually put the live round in anymore. Just blanks, uh, the actual blanks. So it's, you know, which is slightly shorter, slightly narrower dimension than a, than a live round. For me, that's the way to go anyway. But in a cowboy movie, you're dealing with eighteen hundred revolvers and. You know, and then the AD should have grabbed it. So, it was, you know, for me, you always, no matter how low budget your film is, you make sure you have the very, very best people in charge when it's uh, crew safety or car safety. You know, if I have a camera vehicle, I make sure I do my research on that camera vehicle driver. I make sure that I call people at work with before. Is a referral? I look at the films he's done in the past. Uh, I understand what he's doing because he's going to have 15 people on the back of that process vehicle driving. If he makes a mistake, I'm putting those 15 people in jeopardy and that would be ultimately my mistake for not having, you know, uh, done the research ahead of time. I do the same research on my sword master, my, my fight choreographer, my stuntmen, my uh, horse wranglers, my gun wranglers. It's, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a business we're in where there are no rules, there's no set guidelines, no two days are identical on an action movie and you have to be very, very aware of that and astute and careful and plan accordingly. So, uh, you just hire the very best. And I think if you scrimp and you try and cheat, then you hire people who are inexperienced to tell you fits about what they've done before or a little bit, you know, uh, careless. It's, you know, it's the recipe for disaster. Yeah. Well, thank you for your answer, sir. That, 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 was, that was great. Um, now, let's talk. Now, last time I had talked to you was for Debt Collector 2, which was right like when the pandemic was you know was pretty much starting to go now it's 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 been a little while later now how how, how has it been back filming like what challenges have you faced especially like this is your your first film since uh, am i wrong or have you done something i don't think you've done something before your third oh okay 
corn and tomatoes and onions. And I, I was realising I was planning on living off the land and seeing how that would work. And, yeah. You know, really rolling up my sleeves when I happened to run into a source of financing, which I would usually not have utilised. It's way less than I would usually be interested in making a film for. Uh, outside of the pandemic, but during the pandemic, I realised that you have to drop some of your you know, some of the things you might hope for at other times and, and take what's being offered. And uh, uh, I put a call out for scripts that could be shot in a minimal locations with a minimal cast. And uh, we got it, whittled it down to about 45 worthwhile scripts. Uh, out of those, myself, my manager, my assistant kept using Hell Hath No Fury as the benchmark, as the one we were saying, is this better than Hell Hath No Fury? And eventually it's like, well, Hell Hath, you know, this is just the best one. We all keep coming back to this one. This is the one. And it really appealed on many, many levels. It had been written by a Frenchman. It was a French person's perspective of World War II, which is very different to an American or an English or a Russian. We've seen all of those. We have great movies made of our perspective of, of, of the European campaign, you know, the, in, in World War Two, And it's, it's a very familiar one since Taking Fried Ryan and Band of Brothers. There's, there's probably triple figures, hundreds of low-budget World War Two films being made all along the same general lines, following the, the heroic Allied forces as they, as they uh, head towards Germany from, you know, Normandy landings or up through, through Sicily. And I felt it was really, really interesting for two reasons. Seeing the story told from a French perspective and having a female protagonist in the lead, uh, I always felt they were given short thrift, you know, and there's so many heroes of the SOE, of the OSS, of, of the, you know, of the resistance itself in France and Europe, people who did the most amazing things, women who were in their early 20s being trained very, very quickly uh, in, in the UK and then parachuted behind enemy lines to, to do these death-defying missions that were absolutely beyond beyond the scope of, of what was expected, would imagine, you know, to be expected of, of people at that age and, yeah. and that experience. And that always interested me. My grandmother was in the ATS from 41 to 43 in England, and her stories were amazing of what she did. You know, up to that point, women had really not been in the workplace. It was a fairly sort of uh, old-school, you know, society. And suddenly these women are forced into the role of being drivers, of being mechanics, being uh, airmen, of being, you know, of, 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 and, they, and they did incredible stuff. They, they kept the war effort going, you know, while the soldiers were away. Uh, and and she, she would tell me these amazing sort of uh, stories, which later in life she started going around to schools and colleges and telling, you know, before she passed away to use it. And I felt that there was definitely something there. And so the female protagonist I really liked. It's a rich, interesting character. Films for me are about characters. They're not about stories or plots or genres. All that's, all that's sort of shit. For me, it's the characters. And if the characters compel me and I want to get involved, then I know that I'll find an actor who also shares that enthusiasm. At that point, we're starting to read something exciting. There's magic in the air, you know what I mean? Uh, and it just happened that this was occupied France or, or rapidly unoccupied and... and, and wartime France, August 1944, and there's so much interesting stuff going on. You know, the resistance at that time was viewed very questionably by the Americans. The Americans were familiar with the Vichy government, the, uh, the you know, the, the uh, German sympathising uh, military, Germans, you know, they fought them, in, in, they faced them on the beaches in, in Africa, you know, they actually had battles with French troops. 
So they entered France with the orders to kill anyone with a gun, which would cover resistance or Vichy, you know, Vichy uh, sympathizers. Uh, so their view towards French resistance was very different to what we now look back and think it might have been. They were ready to kill them, you know, and they'd say, drop your guns, you're, you're all... Yeah, all bad guys, as far as we can tell, they didn't know who to trust. That rapidly changed. They'd come across a, a retribution situation like the one at the beginning of uh, Hell Has No Fury, where a woman's having a head shaved and being beaten up and pushed around because supposedly she had relations with the German or collaborated. You know, but most of the time, the people doing the punishing were the most guilty because they were, you know, as human nature is, they were trying to prove that they weren't. And so they get involved, they rescue her. Uh, and she says, I can, t- I can show you where this is going, just get me, you know, just save me. Uh, and they end up at this cemetery where, you know, we run into a whole bunch of elements that also know about the gold and Marie, French resistance, a, 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 a band of, of 12 SS who should be heading back to Germany that actually turn around and come back because they know about the gold and the, uh, and the Marie's connection to that. So you end up with this really interesting, interesting, uh, cast of characters all with their own motivations nobody necessarily wearing a black or white hat obviously yeah. the SS are bad guys reprehensible but this one character from Brokner Sternbach Fleury from Brokner we're not sure about we don't really know uh, because we see Mitt Marie with her but then we realise of course he's as guilty as any other but but and the Americans who at first we are pre-programmed to sympathise with we suddenly realise that's pretty nasty characters, you know, these guys that fought their way out from Sicily through some of the bloodiest, most vile fighting backwards and forwards, taking, retaking, defeating, going back, you know, Sicily and, and Naples and uh, southern Italy was taken and retaken and taken again as the Germans fought back and counterattacked, uh, and these guys saw hell on earth of, of you know, of, of, you know, for a special service force, and these guys fought, you know, a very different enemy to the enemy that we know of, the, you know, the retreating Germans at this point, it was still in the balance for these guys, SS, paratroopers, German, Force German Jäger, special forces guys who really fought to the very bitter end. So by the time they arrived in southern France, where our story picks them up, they are, you know, they're, they're hollow shells of their former selves who are, who are cynical and, and mean and, and don't have much faith in humanity. And so... We're not sure where to put our allegiances, and I, I really like that as a basis for a movie. That's I, you know, I was actually going to ask you about that because, like I said, throughout your filmography, like you've had strong women in your films, but this is the first time where you know, front and center, you have this very strong female character, and and Nina was just awesome in the role, and um, I wanted you, you've got your your Jesse V Johnson style action in it but it's I, I liked it because like for the first part of the movie it was more like a cat and mouse game between her and everybody else you know she's trying to survive they want the gold you know she didn't want anything to do with the gold she just you know she said it was cursed you know so I just I really applaud the movie you know for for having such a strong female presence in it and also like what you had just stated about like you know nobody has a black or white hat in it because like watching it I really didn't know like I'm like who, who should I be liking here you know it's like because you, know, you like, didn't 
you know, you would start like, okay, this person, but then they do something, you'd be like, oh, wait a second, you know? And then, and so I wanted to slowly, ask you. Slowly, you start to root for her, and you're not sure about her at the beginning because she's a you know, collaborator, and you're like, why should I root for her? And then slowly, you're one over, and you had to be a slow burn. The script was a slow burn, yeah. meaning it takes a little time to reveal who it is. Obviously, you know, first test screenings, you got everyone saying, oh, put some action in early on, put this in early on. It's like, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. I've got a chance to make a movie the way I want to make it because of COVID. I don't have producers over my shoulder saying, put, you know, the opening, you know, James Bond, eight-minute action sequences. Right. No, I don't want to do that. We're going to do this, you know, the old school way. It has this action in it, and it's violent and it's vicious when it happens, and it is, as you say, action is worthy of, of being called an action movie but, yeah. but up to that point it's a fuse burning and I, I really wanted that to be the case so I'm glad you caught onto that as the woman character yeah I mean for me it's it was important in this one that it wasn't one of the soldiers it was someone who whose uh, motivations were neither king or country uh, nationalism or or pure greed which is what the Americans you know yeah. her motivations are clean they're, they're, they're beyond all of these others and that and we don't know that of course we're giving away spoilers here but but that was very very important to me I, I've always found greed or revenge as rather empty motivators for a lead character and in this case it's something else altogether it's it's a mix of everything but but mainly it's it's pure goodness you know the pure conviction it's not even religion it's it's just it just doesn't belong to you guys and you can't have it and I and I thought that was really really well defined there's a couple of French films called Jean de Florette and Man on the Source which I think are wonderful and I actually took the, took the village of Oban from those pictures for this film and I just loved them because it was it's complex and, and, and human character and story is complex and I like that as the women in, in charge the reason I haven't had one before is only down to the fact that you know I've had I've been brought on to films that have a lead actor, yeah, you know, right. and, and we need to do it this way. You can, we'll finance you if you have this lead actor or this combination of lead actors. And, but in this case, we had something, we had a different scenario because of COVID, thank goodness, and we're able to do something else. But I, I was brought up by women. I have I a single mother, uh, a grandmother, who was, and a, and as I mentioned before, there was a matriarch who, who had to <laughs> very... Uh, I have daughters uh, and sisters, and, and for me to have a female in control of a movie was was it felt very right. It felt very good. They're more complex than men, right. and uh, you know, and I, I love that. And I had a wonderful writer called Catherine McEwen, who's co-written with me four or five films. And she usually comes in and punches up the female characters. She goes in and makes them sound like females. We get these scripts all the time written by men, and the female characters sound like just another guy in the story. You know. And that's, it, it shouldn't be the case. It's so much more interesting. So, they're so much more intelligent than us, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's good to have them written well. And uh, and I feel that Maria is written really, really well. And what Nina did to that was she brought it alive by absolutely dedicating herself to the performance, you know? Uh, where we were filming, we were bubbled away from uh, civilization. It was a long way from town. There was no internet, no cell. And we had to be there. Crew and cast couldn't come and go because of the nature of COVID. Early on, once you're tested in there, you know, and, and we were there for the for the duration of the shoot. We shot in chronological order, which helped a lot. But it was almost like we went back to the 1940s or 50s where making films, where they take a tent and you know people would fly out to a remote location. You you you'd make this movie and you live it and you 
come up to me and say, well, how about if you did it this way? And, and that, was, that was, some of those moments were brought up on set, you know, in, in these moments of inspiration that, that came from being in that environment. And it was really, really a precious and once-in-a-lifetime sort of shoot. I'm very, very lucky to have had it. Hope that comes across on screen when people watch it. Oh, absolutely. Now, like I was going to ask you about, you kind of, you kind of already mentioned it, but like nowadays, like in, in the world of COVID, like was it a coincidence that the plot just had like these few sustainable characters? Like, I mean, there were the Germans, but I think, I think from a lot of the movies I've been seeing lately, like the, you know, to make it easier, like there's like only like five or six like major players, and then there's some other, you know, like like. There's other movies that have come up, like Cop Shop, that just came out and stuff like that. It's like self-contained, you know, with limited cast. Now, do you see, like, since I've been making movies, they've always asked you to have minimal locations and minimal cast. Okay. To a producer who isn't a director, that would appear to be the cheapest way to make your film. You know? Yeah. You know, grandest form of, of mental arithmetic there is. Uh, the truth is, you, you find the right location. It offers you many, many diverse aspects to that if you're smart you can make it look like a lot of locations but you getting into these conversations with a producer who's you know who's interested in making money and making a film on time it's it's neither here nor there so there's always since i've been directing there's always been a appeal of scripts that have minimal cast and minimal locations work as a dramatic piece without you being able to feel those restrictions that being said this script arrived and those scenes were written that way i actually added more to it by having the scenes where we see the Germans uh, 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 draw, withdrawing to France. We have, I think we had 350 extras in that, in that shot, so yeah. by no means was it a, a minimal, minimal, you know, who had tanks and, and motorcycles, but I felt I needed that because the film, you know, the real drama and the real crux of the movie takes place in this in this cemetery, you know, with, with a limited amount of of players, but that was how it was written. That was how it was intended. It was never. There was never anything scripted. We didn't cut anyone. Uh, I, you know, there was certainly no, no no cuts from the script at all. Uh, and in respect to the Germans, I actually added a lot to it. You know, to make it even bigger. Yeah. Uh, the plan with these films is always that when one watches it, one doesn't feel that they're seeing something that that comes with a lower price tag. You know. Uh, uh, because you, you want it to be indefinable. And people know that it obviously costs a little less because there's no famous actors in terms of what they used to. There's no crews, there's no, uh, no, you know, there's, but beyond that, you, you don't want it to show its cost. And I think we did well in this, you know? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I also I actually talked to another director earlier today, and I asked him, you know, because there's been a lot of you know like talk about like shaky cam and uh, quick edits, like with action movies and stuff like that. I mean, I run an action site, and I get pounded and pounded with people, you know, complaining about you know what we're getting nowadays. And I always go back to like your films or like some of the other directors, you know. I feel guilty though because you know I started out on big movies. You know I did Charlie's Angels. Yeah. You know we we had scenes with Lucy and, and Cameron and and uh, uh, Drew Barrymore, and they're great. And they they rehearsed for you know for three weeks with with uh, the Chinese learning how to do those moves. But I mean, John, you're a martial artist. They rehearsed for three weeks. You know, Scott Atkins has been working as a martial artist since he was three years old. 
great. That, that, you know, so whether you're working with someone like Scott or Daniel Bernhardt, uh, you can pull the camera back and you can you can move it gently and uh, majestically and operatically. And these guys are going to perform in a way that no stuntman can even perform. Exactly. Uh, you have Lucy, or you have Cameron, or you have Drew, who've all committed. And, and believe me, these girls committed. Yeah. They gave everything. But you've got three weeks or a month, and so you're not going to have the same. So you lose long lenses. Uh, the long lens, because of the nature of a long lens, you know, when it's you know wobbles a little bit more when you're following action. Uh, you might adjust the shutter to make it that, have it that kinetic effect that speeds up certain techniques. Uh, uh, and and nowadays they add a little bit of handheld to it as well because simply because it's you know the performer themselves is not capable of the kinetic energy that you'd want to see. So it's not really fair as a director going, you know what, I always pull back and I don't cut my action and I allow the audience to see it because I've worked with the very fucking best out there. They're tremendous and I would be. I should be shot if I were not to pull back with Tony Jaa or Ito Uwes or, or Mike Bisping or Tiger Chen or Scott, if, you know, or even Michael Jai. You know, if I, if I didn't pull back, that would be the biggest mistake I made in my career. So you show it. But then again, I've also worked with people who are not up to scratch. And, and when you when you work with those guys, you can train as much as you want. You can put stunt doubles in, you can get them, but you're still going to find yourself needing to get a little closer with the action, which means putting a slightly longer lens on to help amplify some of that stuff and maybe using a few of the techniques. I try not to use the, the handheld stuff too much because that now uh, the audience is just so, so familiar with the grammar of filmmaking because they all make their own films. They watch such a lot of, uh, of action that they can see when, you know, they're being given a, being sold a, 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 a bill of goods. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting one. I've been very, very lucky. Uh, the camera technique on this one, John and I, uh, the Jonathan Hall, the, the, the cinematographer, and I have been perfecting for some time, which is basically keeping a 35 or 40 mil lens, which is about what the human eye sees, equivalent to what we're taking home from the scenario, you know? Right. Uh, and then moving it closer when it needed to be tenser and then stepping back, physically moving the camera back when the scene needed to be wider, as opposed to relying on lenses. You know, we both came up uh, in the 90s with uh, our, uh, our guy, you know, our gurus, our teachers being from the 80s, which was go to the longest length possible and cut to the widest length possible, you know, and that was exciting cinema. If you watch the early Tony Scott's or Ridley Scott movies or, or Alan Parker or, or, or these guys that we grew up loving, it's all about the longest lens, 250, you know, 180, you know, these incredible long lenses cutting to wide lenses, you know, that were 20s and 18s and 14mm lenses. And it's the juxtaposition of those two lenses that give you the exciting feel of things like Top Gun or Days of Thunder or, you know, or, you know the pictures that were stable at that time. But, but that's changed now. We have people like P.T. Anderson uh, who are... Who are we, and Wes, uh, 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 Wes Anderson, who are, who are uh, reforming the grammar of storytelling with the way that they shoot, and it affects all of us, whether we're action films or martial arts films or, you know, or, or dramatic uh, movies, and we have to be aware of that. You can't keep making films the way that they made them then. But I was, um, we were very blessed to be brought up that way in film and cinema in the era of 35 millimeter Panavision cameras that weighed a ton and, you know, these, you know they, they, now we can shoot a film, you know, with a thing on a road in, which is the size of an SLR, which is enormously empowering, but you've got 
absolutely. Well, like I said, I mean, your style, like, I, I you know, I, every time I see your name attached to it, I know, like, what I'm in for, and that's a good thing. You know, I know I, I know what I'm going to get. You never disappoint. Absolutely. And last but not least, I'll let you go after this. Um, I know it's kind of a cliche question, but, I, I, again, I know from what I got from watching, what do you want the fans to get from watching Hell Hath No Fury? Uh, I'd love them to enjoy the experience as much as possible and, and, and think a little bit more about World War II and see it from a different perspective. But most importantly, I'd love them to watch it in the theatre. Yeah. We have a limited theatrical that starts on, October, on November the 5th, Guy Fawkes Day in England, and if they can find one of these select theatres, World Go USA are putting it out, it will be on every list. You just type in, you know, the, when you go to find out what's playing in your local theatre. If you can sit in the big screen you're doing, on the big screen, you're doing yourself an enormous favour. This one was designed to be seen on the big screen. It's right. as I say, with uh, ancient anamorphic cook lenses, and it's just a delight, and it's an immersive experience, and you will enjoy it, and you'll be moved, I hope, and you'll be taken somewhere a little different, and you'll you'll find out a little bit more about this character, Marie, who's really quite a hero, and someone worth knowing about, you know. Absolutely. Well, sir, again, a great conversation. And again, I love it when I don't talk. You, you, I, you know, you, you don't hear me too much, you know, because everybody wants to hear you. And that you're always a wonderful interview. And I, again, I hope to do it again in the future, sir. Thank you, John. I hope I didn't talk too much. You no, you were great. Very good questions where, where I let you actually finish it. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's the other thing. It's like, I'll ask the question, did you answer? I'm like, oh, those were my next five questions. So now I'm thinking in my head, what do I do now? But no, that was great, sir. Absolutely. And, yeah, I, and I can't wait to talk to you again. You have a good day, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Good have a good one. All right. There you have it. My exclusive interview with Action Maestro, filmmaker, director, writer, Jesse V. Johnson. He's back with a vengeance, and this time he's taking on the World War II epic Hell Hath No Fury. It's a powder keg of raw emotion and fierce battle action, and if you like practical action and stunts and a story with meaningful characters, then this is the movie for you. It comes out this Friday. If you're able to see it on the big screen, check it out because it is definitely worth it. Check out my review that's going to be up this week because it does not disappoint. And once again, Jesse V. Johnson delivers in the action department. All right, until next time, keep it locked and loaded right here as we are your destination for everything action.